When I'm looking for cases to cover on this podcast, I will sometimes stumble across a case I really do want to cover. However, there just is not enough information available online to fill an episode. This usually means I'm not able to cover the case, and I was in that situation very recently. But thankfully, I was able to get into contact with the victim's sister, and she very kindly agreed to appear on today's episode. Let's uncover the unsolved disappearance of Patricia Newsom. Hello and welcome to the 64th episode of the Uncovered True Crime podcast. My name is Stephanie and each week we uncover a different unsolved true crime case, ranging from missing persons, unsolved murders, Jane and John Doe's and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other podcast streaming apps. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at uncover underscore pod, on Instagram at uncover true crime pod and you can join the Uncovered True Crime discussion group on Facebook. First of all, I hope you all enjoyed the holiday season and had a very good new year. I took a couple of weeks off at the end of December just to chill out and relax a little bit. However, I am very happy to be back researching, recording and editing these episodes. I also can't think of a better way to start 2022 than with today's episode. As I mentioned in the intro, today we have a very special guest. Her name is Marianne Collette, who is the sister of Patricia Newsom, who went missing back in 1974. It really was a pleasure to be able to speak to Marianne and to glean more information about Patricia's case, because there really isn't a lot of information online about her case. But I thought, who better to tell Patricia's story than her own sister? Before we get started, I just want to point out that I am not a journalist, I am not experienced in interviewing people, and I just wanted to give Marianne the opportunity to discuss her sister's disappearance. There were a couple of issues with the audio, mainly on my end. Technology is not perfect, but on the whole, I think the audio turned out okay, so I hope that you enjoy. But without any further ado, let's uncover the unsolved disappearance of Patricia Newsom. In today's episode, we've got a very special guest, Marianne Collette. So hello, Marianne. Hi. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm a little nervous, and thank you so much for having me. That's absolutely no problem. Thank you for agreeing to, to come on. Thank you very much. I think one of the reasons why it's so good that we're able to have this conversation today is when I was when I was looking up Patricia's case online, there is very, very little information I was able to find on her case, which would have made it quite hard to cover her case in the way that I usually would. So I think that being able to have this conversation, you know, with you, it's a really good way of maybe gleaming information about her case that we wouldn't otherwise be able to find. And hopefully anyone who is from the areas we're going to discuss or maybe knew Patricia or knew someone who knew Patricia listens to it and is able to contact the police or, you know, the relevant the relevant authorities. I think it's really good that we're able to have this conversation. So thank you very much for agreeing to come on. No, I greatly appreciate it. And um, I, I thank you for taking your time because I know it is very difficult because there is so little information out there. And that's been the problem for all these years. And now with the the internet having come about in the interim and everything, we're very hopeful that something, somebody somewhere will have seen her and can help us. Definitely. That's often the key for a lot of cases, but in particular missing persons cases, really narrowing down their last movements and people who knew them and where they were known to associate, who they were known to associate with, all those things are really, really important. So 
I suppose maybe one of the aims of this episode is to hopefully raise awareness to her case and to get the right people listening to this episode, the people who probably would have known her, or as I said, people who knew people who knew her. You never know. Absolutely. And as we're going to get into, the time that she went missing is slightly vague. You know, it's not pinpointed exactly. It's a general sort of year that we have. So that's why I think it's really important that even though there's not a lot of media on her case, that we are having this conversation today. So I'm really thankful for you coming on. Well, like I said, I greatly appreciate it. I know how vague it is. That has been the main issue for for all these years. Yeah, as you say, hopefully, you know, with the internet being what it is now, hopefully we can start to rectify that and spread awareness to her case. And the more we put information out there, hopefully the more information kind of comes back and it'll be able to help you find leads and, like I say, just generally narrow down, you know, her movements. Exactly. Um, You know, we've also got the DNA up there uh, that was collected yesterday by the Sullivan County, Tennessee Police Department, the Sheriff's Office. They were amazing. Um, It's going up there to Detective Dunphy up at the Massachusetts State Police. They've been great. The folks at NamUs have been been fabulous. Um, So... If she is out there in the system, hopefully that'll bring us a match and, and bring us some some closure there. But quite frankly, all it's going to really take is one person saying, hey, I, I went to school with that girl. I knew her. I had a class with her. I lived the street down from her. Information like that that people seem to think is irrelevant but could totally break the case open. People who think, oh, well, my from you know, that doesn't really matter. I don't know anything necessarily about what happened to her. I just knew her. Well, in cases like this, that is really, really important, even if you just knew her. Even even if you just knew her and just knew can tell me what school she went to or that you knew that she was in such and such a state at such and such a time, that would be enormous, absolutely enormous. With that being said, should we just jump in and start talking about Patricia? Sure, absolutely. So at this point, Marianne, are you able to tell us about maybe Patricia's early life, you you know, when she was born, where she was born, you know, things like that? Uh, She was born on June 20th, 1957 in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Our father was military. Uh, His name was Don and he was in the Navy. Our mother was a registered nurse named Elizabeth. She typically would work in the hospitals near where my father was stationed. We had an older brother named John, and she was the second in birth order. And uh, we moved to um, back to Pennsylvania at some point. Um, my mother died in 1968. So when Patricia was very young, we ended up moving back to Pennsylvania at some point because my mother's family was there. Patricia was a normal kid. She would have gone to, I'm sure, a Catholic school. Uh, they believe she went to St. Raymond's when she was very young. That'll be on my Facebook page. My cousin actually looked up the uniforms from one of the earliest pictures I have of Patricia. We lived on Thron Avenue in Philadelphia during this time. This would have been the very uh, mid to late 60s. And our grandparents, everybody lived in Pennsylvania at the time in that area. Now, my mother died in 1968. We lived in Pennsylvania at that time. My mother is buried there at Holy Sepulchre Cemetery. My father remarried in 1970. 
at this point, this is where things got challenging. At the time, I was very young. I was only three years old when my mother passed away. So obviously, I don't really have a whole lot of memory. So I didn't hear that. Then. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember you know, Trisha and I shared a room when we lived when we lived there, and I, I it's strange the things that you remember. Um, I always try to get her to give me her little uh, piggy bank that was shaped like a little mouse, and she had this statue of the Virgin uh, Mother with this little crown of stones that I was always trying to take as a ring. Just things like that you remember, you know? So at, at that point, you know, we lost our mom, so that was very challenging. My dad remarries. At this point, about a year later, uh, my little brother was born. He's my half-brother. And then the family, my father and my stepmother, uh, myself, my sister, and my brother Peter, and the half-brother, we all moved to New Jersey. To uh, the address was Harbor Road in Morganville, New Jersey. Now, at this time, my oldest brother didn't move with us. He's a little bit older than Patricia was. He got married, and he stayed in Pennsylvania. Now, the important thing to know is, at this time, all communication between us and my mother's family was stopped. Are you aware of why that happened? I can only imagine that for some reason my father was uncomfortable with it. To be honest, I think there was an, uh, a family argument at some point. Right, just a rift in the, in the family, yeah. Yeah, I, I just think it was a family argument and, and that's what happened. So how old were you and Patricia when you moved to New Jersey? So she probably would have been fourteen or fifteen. So she was she was still young. I mean, I can't I can only imagine that, you know, of course she and my older brother John were very close because they were you know, he was two years older than her. And she was sent to boarding school. Okay. Again, do we know why she was sent to boarding school but you and your other siblings weren't? Are we do we know why that happened? The only reason that I'm aware of is that she and my stepmother did not and that just is what it is. And that's, I mean, it might be relevant. It might be something that she mentioned. But she and my stepmother did not get along, and she was sent to boarding school. One of the difficulties in Patricia's case is that we don't actually know what boarding school she went to. Now, on Patricia's NamUs profile, it says that she went missing in New York. However, it, it says Ulster County, but it's, apart from that, it's very vague as to where in New York. Are you aware why it says that she went missing in New York? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the last we heard, we I know she went to a boarding school in the Northeast, but the last we heard, it was either New York, Maine, or Vermont. New York would have probably been most likely simply because the family lived in New Jersey. Again, in the NamUs profile, it says that Patricia was last seen on the 1st of January 1974. As we mentioned earlier, that is not a set date that she is known to have been seen. That is also very vague. Are you able to elaborate on that a little bit? All I remember as a child is that she was gone. I know the years that she was sent to boarding school. So it should have been about 74, but could it have been 72? Absolutely. I don't. I don't want anybody to discount anything just simply because if you have any idea, if you've ever seen a picture of her, ever heard her name. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's really important to point out is that because a lot of the information in this case is quite vague, 
like you say, don't think, oh, well, I knew her in 1970, or, oh, I, I kind of knew her there, or it's not, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, because it obviously does matter, but as far as putting tips into the police, I don't think that any information in this case is too little, or could be classed as irrelevant, really, or not important. Absolutely. Everything is so important. Just the, the tiniest thing is important in this particular instance. So we believe that she went to boarding school around 1974, but as you say, it could have been as early as 1972. I believe that what you were told was that she ran away from boarding school and that was the subject dropped. It subject How did that make you feel growing up that you didn't know how where your sister was or that it was a closed subject? Because, I mean, I'm one of seven. I've got a lot of sympathy for you and that must have been really quite difficult. It, it was very challenging because, in a way, you get, you lose not only the person, you you lose the memories too when you're not allowed to, to relive them and talk about them. And in our family, we have a saying that nobody is dead as long as there's somebody telling the story. When doors are closed and, and if anybody an earshot of this, is on the parenting end of that situation. Don't close children out. You keep that person alive. Keep the person alive. While, unfortunately, you've spent more of your life without Patricia than, sadly, you, you had her in her life, she is still a very important part of your life. And am I right in thinking you would have been eight-ish when she went to boarding school? Am I right in that? It was about seven when she went to boarding school, and I believe nine when she died. Uh, I say died. I know she's gone. I mean, I, I know she's gone. Uh, because she would have got a hold of her older brother. He's lived in Maine forever. He got one letter from her. He wrote her back and he came back. And he can't remember what state he thinks were on. It seems peculiar to me that if she ran away from a boarding school that they wouldn't have reported her missing. Oh, no, I absolutely understand. I understand your reasoning and... Absolutely. I mean, that's been a big part of this rabbit hole. I mean, you, you really have to, you can't not say, why didn't you put in a missing person? Why? Why didn't you do that? Again, it's things like that that makes this case so hard because before we started recording, you told me that Patricia was never reported a missing person. Is she officially a missing person now? Yes. Roughly, when did that happen? That, that, with the name is, with the name is profile, that happened. The challenge is, has been where to report her missing from. I have spent a lot of time looking at all the records I can from boarding schools up north. Just, you know, everything that anybody posts on that page, too. Uh, there's no rabbit hole I won't find out. There is a Find Patricia Newsom Facebook page. I will have it linked in the description of this episode. How have you found having the Facebook group? Have you found it really helpful? Have there been maybe leads that you've been able to go down from suggestions from that group? Oh, absolutely. So many. Uh, it, that, Reddit, it just absolutely amazes me. We put it up like Thanksgiving Day and there's like 226 members. Just complete strangers that I don't even know. But they're giving me information and links and things that I never would have thought of. Not in a million years. Yeah, the, the true crime community online is really is an amazing thing. And I, I feel like with any online community, there can be negatives as well. But generally speaking, it's filled with people who genuinely want to help in these cases. And I think it's amazing the information that people can get about people online without even knowing them. If you think about it too much, I suppose it is quite 
in a way perhaps scary that you're able to find that much information about people but when it comes to missing persons it really is invaluable. I got a picture of my brother Peter who passed away in his 20s that I have never seen before from a link that someone had sent. That's outstanding that someone was able to do that. Yeah, uh, very emotional. As a matter of fact I have a picture up on my desktop because Peter was um, two years younger than Patricia so it uh, it hit him really hard losing your mother like that you know your brother you're in a different place and your sister's gone and unfortunately he went down a not great path and we lost him at 26 yeah it's one of the sad realities of life that we lose people before their time and i think missing people's cases brings extra challenges and that you can't grieve properly because you don't have closure, a conclusion, a place to visit them. You know, it brings with it its own challenges and especially like you say with, you know, challenges with your brother, you know, sadly no longer being with us and your mother, I can imagine would be especially difficult. It's challenging, but I'm I'm very, very fortunate in the family that I have. I have wonderful children. I have a wonderful husband. They're very supportive. As a matter of fact, it was my daughter-in-law we were talking about this, and she was like, let's go make a page. She said, let's do it. That's good that you've got such a good support system around you. I think that really helps. Yeah, I'm very fortunate like that. But the funny thing about the page, too, setting the page up, there are a lot of people that have known me for a very, very long time. But it feels better to do something about it. And oddly, today is the anniversary of my mother's passing. So what better way to honor her memory today? Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. I'm glad that, you know, us being able to do that, if that's able to, you know, like you say, help you on the anniversary of her passing, that's that's a really beautiful thing. It is. It's, it's a beautiful way to honor her, knowing that I'm still looking for her daughter. So that's what that's... Yeah, that's very healing. You can see that very evidently on the the Facebook book that no really stone unturned really in, you know, looking for Patricia. And I think you've looked up her social security number and that's never been used. And that was a suggestion again. I had it. I don't know why. I never thought to to run a background check, but somebody mentioned it either on the page or on on Reddit and nothing there. But still, great suggestion. One of the theories that in this case that has been mentioned on Reddit and in the Facebook group, that a Jane Doe commonly referred to as Lady of the Dunes could be Patricia and that was why your DNA was taken yesterday wasn't it, to be compared to the Lady of the Dunes. Do you want to speak a little bit more about that? Absolutely because um, that's kind of part of what got all of this started now. This is how the Namus case got created as well. It was the 2010 reconstruction of the Lady of the Dunes. That particular particular photo, um, it's got like the greenish background. Now, that particular photo, obviously with a missing sister, I watch a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of missing shows. You just do. I happened to look up and saw that reconstruction and I've been looking at Jane Doe's for 30 years. I saw that picture. I picked up my phone. I sent a copy of it to my cousin. I said, does that look as much like her as I think it does? She sent the picture with no heading, no nothing, no indicating what it was from to relatives. And they thought it was a picture of either my mother or my sister. So that's a big thing about what got everything really going. There are a lot of composites of the Lady of the Dunes online. And a lot of them look very different to each other. 
just I just want to be clear for people listening, the one that you are referring to is the one that was made by the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children? Uh, yes. The composite with her hair down and around, yeah. So at this point, I'm going to give some information about the Lady of the Dunes and the general circumstances surrounding her discovery and the information that we do know about her. So the women more commonly referred to as Lady of the Dunes was discovered on the 26th of July 1974 in the Race Point Dunes in Provostown, Massachusetts. She unfortunately had been murdered. Her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. At the time that she was discovered, it is thought that she had been dead for around 10 days to 3 weeks, according to the Doe Network. However, in other sources, I've stated that it's more likely to be around the 2-week mark. At the time she was found, unfortunately, she was not immediately recognisable due to decomposition, which is why there are so many compositions of her. And if you're interested in this case, I would really recommend you look up the Lady of the Dunes. I will have her name as profile, as well as Patricia's, in the description of this episode. The Doe Network has got most of the reconstructions of the Lady of the Dunes on it, and a lot of them are very different to each other. But again, I want to restate that the one that Patricia's family say look most like her is the one that was created by the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children, which on the Doe Network is the first image, and it's the one with the light green background. She's got her hair and a ponytail to the side. Her age range is very vague. It differs from source to source, but generally she is thought to have been anywhere between 20 to 49 years old. At the time that Patricia went missing, she would have been 17 years old, and it is thought that she went missing the same year that the Lady of the Dunes was found. Now, obviously this is slightly younger than the age range suggests. However, because the age range in this case is so broad, I don't think that that alone is a reason to rule it out because the police obviously can't put a finer point on her age, so she really could be any age. The Lady of the Dunes was a white female. She stood anywhere between 5 foot 6 to 5 foot 8 inches tall. She weighed around 145 pounds, had auburn hair. Her eye colour is unknown and she had an athletic build. Marianne, the description I've just given of the Lady of the Dunes, how closely does that fit Patricia? Obviously we've stated the Nick Mick composite is very similar to what Patricia looked like, but as far as, you know, her height and weight and hair colour, how accurate is that to how Patricia looked? That's definitely accurate. She, yeah, she definitely would have been in that range. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is that the Lady of the Dunes, her dental records. Now, she had extensive dental work done and she had gold crowns on her teeth that were worth anywhere between $5,000 to $10,000. And the dental work was done in a, what dentists are calling a, quote, New York style, unquote. I'm assuming that they mean that dentists in New York were maybe known to do gold crowns a certain way, yeah? Exactly, right. My father worked in New York. He retired from the Navy. He became an executive at New York City's um, power company, Consolidated Edison. Could that be another reason why it's maybe thought that her boarding school was perhaps in New York? 
as opposed to Maine and the other places you mentioned earlier? Quite possibly. Now, I know that um, he worked in New York City. She was in the country. She would have been upstate New York. One thing that did strike me when I was looking at the Lady of the Dunes case in relation to Patricia's case is that the gold crowns on her teeth were worth anywhere between $5,000 to $10,000. Would Patricia at any point in her life have been able to receive dental care this expensive? I, I could see that being afforded in our family at the time, yes. Because that actually brings up another part of it, too, is that part of the family, you know, I always assumed that she, when she got gone, she was abducted and trapped. And she could have been trying to get to Cape Cod in the summer because my mother's family often sent up there. That's a really interesting detail, which again, link Trisha to being the Lady of the Dunes. So that's that's really, really interesting. Another theory that is linked to the Lady of the Dunes, and before I mention this, I want to say this is speculation. This theory has not been proven. But have you heard of the theory that the Lady of the Dunes was an extra in the film Jaws? Yes. They were talking about Joe Hill having that theory, Stephen King's son having that theory. And that's what made me look up, because I happen to like both authors a lot. And I looked up, and then I saw that picture, the reconstruction. But that wouldn't be something that... Why wouldn't a 17-year-old go do that? Do something like that? No, definitely. And the still of the extra from the film does bear a striking resemblance to the Nick Mick reconstruction. When you saw the still from the movie, again, did you look at that and think that could be Patricia? Oh, yes. As did other family members as well. I just wanted to ask that because I think looking at a digital recomposite compared to an actual physical photo or video still of someone is totally different. You know, you could look at a composite of someone and think, yep, that looks like her. You could look at an actual photo and think, maybe not. So I just wanted to double check that with you, that the similarity is still very much there. I was I was actually kind of hoping, oh, maybe I can rule it out. But no, you can't by looking at that, especially, you know, the way the girl is wearing the bandana in that picture actually hurts to Again, I want to point out, it has never been confirmed that the Lady of the Dunes was the extra in the Jaws film. However, I just want to put out there that that scene was filmed in Provost Town, where the Lady of the Dunes was found between May of 1974 and October of 1974. Yeah, so if the Lady of the Dunes this extra from Jaws and Patricia are all the same person, then that was likely shot very close to the time that the Lady of the Dunes or Patricia would have would have died. There's another Jane Doe case that I hadn't actually heard linked to Patricia's case until we started speaking at the start of this call. So this Jane Doe doesn't have a nickname per se, like a lot of Jane Doe's. She was found in the Atlantic Highlands in Monmouth, New Jersey on the 21st of December 1988. She is thought to have been around 15 to 20 years old. However, her date of death, according to the Doe Project, is anywhere between 8 to 15 years before she was discovered, which is anywhere between 1973 and 1988. So the age range of this Jane Doe does match 
how old Patricia would have been. She was between five foot to five foot four. She was around 100 to 120 pounds. Her hair and eye colour are unknown and it is also unknown if she had any distinguishing marks or features but again I believe that's because there were several years between her death and her discovery. One thing we do know is that she did have a gap between her upper lateral incisors and she did have fillings on some of her teeth. Obviously we spoke about the reasons why the Lady of the Dunes could possibly be Patricia. What was it about this Jane Doe case that made you think this could possibly be your sister? The reconstruction for one thing, especially when you when you see it next to the Jaws snip picture. The fact that she was in the Northeast when she went missing and the fact that she was close to my mother's family. So, you know, Cape Cod actually had memories for us as children because we would go there sometimes on the summers. Mostly, I would say it had to be that reconstruction. Another thing that I want to mention is that obviously I will have Patricia's photo as the thumbnail to this episode. However, there are very few publicly available photos of Patricia. And in fact, when Patricia's name is profile first went up, it was actually a photo of your mother that was the photo and not of Patricia. Are you able to expand on perhaps why that is? Uh, when we originally put in the information to Namus, we had sent a picture because the last picture I have of my sister was, I want to say a couple of years before she went missing. So it was just for um, reference. And that was actually before I found the box that contained her social security number and the newer picture, which is now the Namus picture. So the photo on her Namus profile, which, as I've said, will be the thumbnail for this episode, that is the most recent photo of her. How old would she have been in that photo, roughly? I want to say about 14 or 15. 14 or 15, okay. And she was around 17 when she went missing. Correct. It says 16 on the Namus, but her birthday being in... June. I think again with the fact that she could have went missing anywhere between 1972 to 1974, you know, leaves a bit of a possible age range, you know, it's not definitive. So around 16, 17. Yes. Okay. Definitely. Are there any more details that we haven't yet covered about Patricia's case or about possible theories in the case that you want to talk about? If you know anybody, if anybody out there knows anybody that went to a boarding school in the Northeast between 1971 and 1975, they could have gone to school with her. They could have been in a different class than her. Just ask them to please take a look at the photo and see if possibly they knew her. And if so, I watch that page all the time, and people can feel free to contact me directly. If they just want to email findpatricianewsome at gmail.com, that'll come right to me. Okie dokie. Again, I will have that information in the description of this episode, should anybody wish to do that. One thing that Patricia's family would like everyone who maybe has information to know is that the statute of limitations for any crime other than murder has run out in Patricia's case. So her family do not want anyone to be scared of possible repercussions as a result of any information that they have. Is that accurate, Marianne? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, it could be... I don't want anybody to be afraid of anything that they think might hurt my feelings or anything either. Um, 
there's nothing that I could hear that would hurt more than just the not knowing. And we don't want anybody to worry about getting in any kind of trouble. Anonymity is okay, too. You know, if somebody just wants to say, hey, I just knew she went to this school at this time, that's fine, too. Without sounding like a broken record, I just, again, want to state that no information in this case is too small. No information that you may have is too trivial, irrelevant, doesn't matter. Anything in this case matters because there is so little information. Anything that you know, what school she went to, what state she lived in, if you had a fr- if you were friends of hers, if you knew someone who was a friend of hers, if you remember seeing her in your state or in your school, even if you went to the same school as her but you didn't know her, but you're like, oh yeah, I went to I went to school with her and you have the name of the school, even that information could be vitally, vitally important in this case. Is there anything else, Mary Ann, that you want to say or put out there before we wrap up today's episode? I just want to thank you for your time. I want to people for listening and for, for caring and for getting information out there so that hopefully we can get her and bring her home. Before I finish today's episode, I'm going to give a description of Patricia, which I'm getting from her NamUs profile. Patricia is thought to have went missing in 1974, however, it could have been as early as 1972 and she would have been roughly 16 to 17 years old. She was a white female, stood anywhere between 5 foot 5 inches tall and 5 foot 9 inches tall. She weighed between 130 to 160 pounds. Her NamUs profile says that she went missing in New York, but it is possible that she could have went missing either in New Jersey, Vermont or Maine. She is known to have been sent to a boarding school, however we do not know the name of that boarding school. Patricia had hazel slash greenish eyes and red auburn hair. At the time of her disappearance, Patricia may have been wearing a Sicilian Academy 1952-1954 clash ring with a blue stone. If you have any information on Patricia's case, including her whereabouts at the time of her disappearance or in the years before her disappearance, please contact the Massachusetts State Police on 508-362-8113. The agency case number is 2015-102-362. I will have all that information in the description of this episode, along with a link to the Find Patricia Newman Facebook page. And as Marianne has already said, if you want to remain anonymous, then Marianne is quite happy for you to send a message on that Facebook page, should you have any information. I would like to reiterate that the statute of limitations on any aspect of Patricia's case other than murder have since expired, so please do not let that hold you back from giving information to either Marianne or the authorities. Patricia's family just want to know where she is. They want to lay her to rest and they want closure, which is the absolute bare minimum that this family deserve. It really, really is. And I really do wish you all the best of luck with finding Patricia. And if I or this podcast can help you in your search for Patricia, please feel free to be in touch. And I will update the audience on whether or not the Lady of the Dunes is Patricia Newman. Because testing is underway um, to see if they are the same person. That is all the information I have for you today. Thank you for listening till the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night.